Welcome back. This is a very special episode of Unleashed and Unhinged with, of course, myself in Shivers. But we've got my partner in crime, Dominic, home with us today from Canine Caregivers. And we'll be breaking down all kinds of things as time goes on together for these little bonus episodes. If you want to learn more, go to caninecaregivers.com.au and you'll see all of our resources right there. But let's just dive straight into the episode. Today we are talking about uh, perception of control. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like it's, again, it's a it's dog trainer talk. So we're going to try and make it like how does the average person relate? And why is but why is it important as well? Mm-hmm. Like that's because um, it's important to us. Like we we obviously for us like when it's influenced how we live with and work with dogs on so many levels but um, what is it first well I mean perception of control is really having having control of many facets of, of your life but generally in the specific context that you're in yeah so if you're in a situation and you don't feel in control that will affect how you feel which therefore will affect how you behave yeah so how you perceive control is individual to you dependent on what means what is meaningful for you to have control of yeah do you have control of your space do you have control of your physical movement do you have control of what you can drink or what you can eat or whether you move whether you can exit what you can say Mm -hmm. um for a dog i think it encompasses all of that as well yeah um but i think with us as caregivers we do control pretty much everything in their lives which restricts their ability to have that control but when you look at the situations that we put them in say for example putting them on lead and walking them down the street into the face of another dog they have no control there if we're not observing them. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And because we take... We are in so much control of our dogs, like, you know, where we place them, for how long, who are they around, when they eat, when they get toys, when they get access to most of their resources. Um, I think it's extra important that we do take ourselves and put it and try to look at it through their lens Mm. and how they might feel about the fact that they don't have as much control over their outcomes as we, unless we, you know, they just don't, unless we really stop to think about it. And then we start to think about, you know, nuances around like, okay, when do I give my dog control? Mm. and how much um, and that's important in, on, on a lot of levels like if I constantly have control over my dog and all of his outcomes that's, 
probably a real low welfare for my dog, low level of welfare for the dog. Um, but if I gave them so much control that, uh, or too much control, there's a chance that I might start feeling overwhelmed or overwrought because I'm no longer, my perception control is, is gone, but also potentially so might the dog because it's a really human world. Well, I think also using it in training terms. Yeah. Or not, I, you know, I don't mean tr- to just, you know, use the inverted commas. Yeah, but I've got I the mean, inverted commas up there, yeah. <laughs> I do, but in certain circles of training mm-hmm. where control is the main goal of the training outcome. Yeah. So putting dogs in situations that they are not okay in forcing them to be there to show that you can control your dog Mm. in that situation. Yeah. Which for me then can have... So give me an example. So if you've got a dog that struggles on lead with other dogs... Yeah. ...and using some techniques such as taking a dog who struggles with dogs while they're on lead to a dog park... Taking them towards dogs. Taking them towards dogs yeah. on a lead, which gives them no freedom of movement, yeah. no choice, no control, because if they are struggling with those dogs on lead, they can't do anything. Yeah. So that's where we generally see the reactive outburst. Yeah. So putting them in that situation and then controlling them Yeah. to train them... Um, also has like it has an adverse effect on that dog how that dog perceives that situation the entire situation the person holding the lead the lead the dogs the the specific place that they're in Mm. because they are not feeling that control like feeling in control of yourself and a situation gives you gives you confidence makes you feel comfortable yeah because you have that ability to allow your brain to be in a relaxed state yeah to process effectively so each movement that you you make is a decision yeah. that you have thought about or at least at the very least you're less likely to make uh unpredictable reflexive potentially undesirable decisions because because you're not in a state of panic Mm-hmm. You know, you might... I mean, how much I actually think about every movement, probably not much, but I also, if I'm calmer, I am much more deliberate um, and, and, and I'm less prone to, to fucking things up. Yeah, but if we... You know, when in that situation of with dogs, putting them in a situation where they don't have control, the more they experience that the more they will be making those overt reflexive behaviours that will then become reinforced behaviours for them because it gives them that relief. Yeah. But what, you know, we do a lot of things that we don't think about because we've already either had that experience so our brain doesn't have to take up the energy to process it anymore. Yeah. It's an automatic response because our body and our brain already have that memory so it just does that. Driving is is a perfect example. Mm. When you first learn to drive, you are... 100% aware, and this is personality dependent, some people will get in the car quite confidently and be able to, especially manual 
uh, learning how to drive a manual, which no one does anymore. <laughs> but there are so many different aspects of the final goal of driving that you, okay, you've got the gears. How many, you know, how many gears are there? Where's the clutch? Where's the brake? Where's the accelerator? Where are my indicators, which many people don't use? Um, how do I, how far do I need to turn the steering wheel? Looking at my rear vision mirror. So all of that, when you first go into that experience, dependent on who you are, mm. how you're being taught, how yeah. you are on that day, will depend on how your response will be and how control you, f- how much control you feel you are in. So when we look at dogs in different situations, whether they're on a lead, whether we take them to the vet, whether they're at home, dependent on those types of learning experiences they've had, whether they've had the time and brain space to think, process, experience, behave, yeah. will depend on how much control they feel they have, but also how it will affect their, their behaviour further down the line. Yeah. So if we take the control away from these dogs, they're not, you know, if you take that control, that can then breed stress or anxiety, yeah. which then stops the brain from taking in new memories because they are responding to how they feel, which is stressed, which means then they're going to panic, the, the heart rate rises blood pumping to everywhere your digestive system sits down sits down it sits down sits down um (laughs) and they are just they are reflexively responding as opposed to observing yeah and then moving on with the behavior yeah but not but if you take away control and you do start to you will start to see stress fear anxiety um sometimes and that would that will develop that emotional uh, association that you're talking about there one things that are one of the things that i don't like we see it all the time is where we see um compliance mm-hmm. from the dog because the dog has now but has basically learned well, if I don't comply, I'm going to get real negative outcomes. So, like, basically learn helplessness. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that dog so often gets called a good dog because it's being, it's so well-behaved. And these are inverted commas again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, um, that, that always gets, like, you can see it with a trained eye, I think, can see it where it's like you look down and that dog may be doing everything it's being asked but it's just feeling shit about it. Well, you can tell those dogs because they don't do anything with enthusiasm. Yeah. There is hesitation in every every movement because their expectation of, am yeah. I going to be hit? Am I going to be jerked? Am I going to be yelled at? Or, you know, whatever the sequence of, of behaviours the human has taken mm. Um, mm. is what the dog has learned. So, therefore, because that's the other thing is what is the expectation of that that dog has in that particular context with those particular stimulus that is going to affect their behaviour and how they instantly feel when they walk into a situation. So, again, if you go back to the car analogy, if I sat into in a car and I'd never driven a car before and I had someone teaching me how to drive and as soon as I sat down and I went to, you know, put my hands on the steering wheel and, the, you know, the person turned around and slapped me and went, no. Micromanage the shit out of you with aggression. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
no, that's not what you do. No, that's not what you do. No, that's not what you do. Rather than going, okay, before you put your hands, like giving me clear information, before you put your hands on the steering wheel, Mm. this is what you need to think about. And I think in the training world, uh, there is a lot of that. It's no, 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 no. So the dog actually doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So it will either completely refrain from behaving at all due to the expectation of a negative outcome or they will get so frustrated that they will start to display other behaviours of frustration and, and reactivity because they just don't know what to do and mm. they're, they're, they are boiling with frustration and confusion. I'm going to take the car analogy. Um, I listened to another trainer say this and... She brought this up as a topic conversation, not not because this is actually how she feels. But she was saying that sometimes she likes the aversiveness of if the wheel, the uh, steering wheel, starts to shake and vibrate if she starts, if the car starts to merge and she wasn't potentially paying attention. Mm. And she was just posing the theory that potentially, in some cases, an aversive might be good. Mm-hmm. In that, for that context and I've been mulling this one over for a little while and I wanted to pose it to you as well I've got my own thought process on that but before I influence you too much mm-hmm. with it what's your thought process on that? Uh, having had all of two seconds to digest this yeah <laughs> uh, I think well it really depends on the dog the strength of the relationship between the human and the dog the actual situation um, what's around mm. and whether or not that aversive um, because there are aversives everywhere in life right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what one dog sees as, an, as aversive and another dog doesn't like he doesn't like me touching his paws mm. my housemate's dog loves it Yeah. for him it's aversive for Kobe it's not Yeah. right so it's for me it's looking at is it really aversive to the dog yeah um, is it a safety issue like, yeah. is it something that gives information to that dog that makes it really clear? Yeah. No, that's not it, but this. Yeah. So for me, it would be, because again, like even the word aversive, we have to break down yeah. of what is aversive to the individual. Now, I don't condone using aversives before we go off on that tangent. <laughs> I just wanted to say that an aversive is individual to the individual, like you know, when I went diving, my best friend shot down straight off. Yeah. I had two panic attacks. Yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, that'd be aversive. Um, my um, kind of pushback on the whole argument, in a way, was the, the whole concept of the fact that if somebody's at the wheel of the car, they decided to get at the wheel of the car in the first place. Mm. And then we go back down to our original point around perception of control for our dogs, which is our dogs didn't ever step up to the wheel of the car. No. Right? They just get the, these, the situations that our dogs find themselves in are normally ones that have happened to them. Mm. Right? And so that, that context is so different because our dogs just didn't consent and didn't have the control in the first place to find themselves in a position to actually receive... The, the aversive like they just would rather probably not if, if it's going to be aversive they'd probably chose to not fucking be there 
Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the basics of, you know, behaviour is there to survive, mm. right? So we adapt our behaviour, all animals adapt behaviour to survive. So you will have dogs, like you were saying, with learned helplessness and, and the reduction of behaviour itself is to survive and keep themselves safe. Yeah, to avoid a bit more aversives. <laughs> to avoid, yeah, and, you know, dogs are great at avoiding conflict. Yeah. It's we... We put them in situations where they they learn they have no other choice. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's stop the doom and gloom for a second. Yep. Okay. Let's. Uh, I want you to talk me through because you're very good at this. Okay. You are. I've seen you do it. Um, a situation where you've got a dog in your care on a lead. Mm-hmm. The lead can be as long as you want. Um, <laughs> but the the goal is to basically think of like a bat session. So mm-hmm. you're, you're you're taking them not near. I'm not going to use the word near. The, we're going to close the distance between. Now our goal is to build a positive association, or at least normalise dogs around us for the dog in our care who has got and doesn't like dogs that much. Mm-hmm. What, what might that look like if we were to give him or her? a bit of control (laughs) Um, well the first thing is he's fine in space yeah Um, secondly is why why? yeah because I want to control that that exposure to that dog yeah so if I and I've got quite a few current clients that I'm working with at the moment where we we find an area where there's no off-league dogs Mm. um and I will generally bring this one. Mm-hmm. Um, initial, the initial thing will be we will do some work with the dog just on some management skills first, lead skills for the human. Yeah. Um, just in case the shit hits the fan, you know, someone does turn up and lets their dog off lead. But the control is basically allowing the dog the length of the lead that is safe, dependent on the distance between them and the other dog. Mm -hmm. But what I look for is fluidity in movement from the dog, where the dog is able to look up quickly, disengage from the dog without any interruptions of the humans, which we do tend to interrupt a lot, especially if you have a negative association of that reactive response from the dog. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to simplify that a second. Yep. So I don't simplify anything. No, no, it's all right. That's what I'm here for. I'm a very simple man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're a man. <laughs> <laughs> HR, don't you listen to her? Um, He's like, hey, bitch, me too. <laughs> um, so we've got a dog. Let's say, okay, so Archie's the dog. We're going to be uh, using as our dummy dog in and. We've got the dog on our lead, mm-hmm. and we are using a big enough space so that we can keep distance between Archie and the dog in our care, so that the dog in our care isn't showing those emotional behaviours. So, isn't getting locked up, isn't charging, isn't barking, isn't lunging, isn't in flight. Mm-mm. And we're looking. So that's the stuff that we're looking for an absence of. We don't want to see any of that shit. Mm. But what we do want to see is nice, calm, gentle, slow movements, being able to look at Archie in the distance and disengage without getting 
a really strong emotional reaction. And but what, letting them be a dog. Yeah. So if they without look up us going, come here, look at that. So yeah. it's all about for them to be able to do that without us having to cue it. Yeah. So seeing a dog, and I'm working um, one dog that comes to mind, and she. Um, I saw them last week, so we've, we're now working on um, a long lead in a nice open space. Mm. Archie's the decoy dog. So the other thing I always do with him is I move... Yeah. Bye, buddy. Um, see? Choice and control. <laughs> um, I will have his body in a neutral we're going to hear nothing but chewing now, but that's He's all right. He's just chewing a reindeer antler. <laughs> I will have Archie either um, scenting food on the ground yeah. with his face away from the other dog. Yeah. So that, you know, we start off very... He's less imposing. S- exactly. He's yeah. not staring at the dog going, you wanna? Yeah. <laughs> um, he's not in a um, stationary position because so I find if the dog is stationary... You can't have a dog sit for a half an hour session. As soon as they move, that can then startle the other dog. So he's moving around as naturally as possible. His body's nice and neutral. So the dog is able to take in that information, process it, and then move on from that. And if there is any sign of freezing or hesitation or startling or any change in the body language that's when the caregiver will go okay well how about we move over this way and we create that distance so it's about reducing well we notice though early onset and we go okay thanks for letting thank you for letting us know that you have now got so close that you're starting to feel uncomfortable let's you can walk away from that or the other, and the other thing I also do is if I notice it because yeah. the caregivers will you know they're focusing and they've got all of the other things to worry if I see it I'll move him mm-hmm. so that then the dog learns to use their body language signals yeah. for another dog without the human having to interrupt so it really depends on the space but yeah. it is allowing the dog to be a dog still in control and a lead yeah but having that control of movement so watching this dog where and this the, the biggest light bulb for the caregivers was seeing her, she moved towards Arch and then just did this beautiful circle around. Yeah. And the caregiver was just standing there. I'm like, go that way, follow go, her. Go with her, she's just winning. Just follow her. Like she just, you know, looked yeah. up and went, yeah, cool, no worries, and just mm. kept on going. So for me, that was control. She'd made that decision. She, she'd had a look at him, like moved towards, but her body was nice and soft. She started curving her body and went, you know what, I'm just going to go and sniff this tree. And what is, and so by giving the dog more control around Archie the goal is there to actually just make her feel more comfortable around Archie and learning that oh I can if I communicate this way I can control my environment so I can create space or I can walk away or if I actually posture like this without resorting to aggression Oh, that dogs actually recognise that as I'm uncomfortable and then they can walk away and that's how we empower the dog through their own perception of their control. Well, that's it. It's learning through experience. Yeah. Right? Like, we as humans and with dogs, you, know, you learn through experience. You try something. If it's negative, you don't do it. If it works well, you feel good about yourself and you continue on that task. So understanding what all the hormones that, and, and um, 
the hormones that we get released when we do certain things, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, cortisol, adrenaline, all of these different things mm. dependent on the situation and how that's going to affect our learning. Yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. That is perception control. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. See you next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers, Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years, not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate. It's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust. And frankly, some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers a place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you. There's different tiers of membership for different needs. So you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.